Hello, you are listening to The Local Lens, a podcast from the Powell County Health Department where we go inside our community's experience with the drug epidemic. Our show is coming to you from Stanton, Kentucky, a small town nestled at the foothills of Appalachia. And we are now at the end of our first season of the show. We've had 16 episodes so far, 16 different interviews with different people whose lives are, in some kind of way, involved in the addiction and recovery world. So in this episode, we're going to look backwards and look at some of the high points of the first season and pull out some of the moments that were really impactful to me personally and that I feel like are just important for anyone to hear. So if you're new to The Local Lens, then this is a great place to start to get a taste of what the show is. Or if you've heard every episode so far, then this is a great way to check back and see what some of the biggest moments from the season were. So this episode is going to be using a lot of different voices. There are a lot of different people that have been on the show, and we're going to weave between these different highlights. So stick with me. I'll keep you updated on who's talking when. Well, let's go on and get into it. This is The Local Lens, the season one recap. These are our people using our voices, telling our stories, because no one sees it like we do. Um, hello, my name is Jasmine Thorpe. I am a lifelong resident of Powell County. Addiction is is a it's a bear, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it is a disease. It's a disease that that medically we don't know much about, you know. My name is Lisa Coffee, and um, I would call myself a friend of recovery before anything else. Um, I am um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, so my profession and trade is mental health and addiction counseling family members friends people in the community often saying things like they don't even want to get better they don't even you know care anymore um, about people who are suffering with addiction Um, but also just that's not who I thought that person was that's not the person that I knew Um, that's not my son that's not my daughter Um, and a lot of times you know in that I, I just agree and say you're exactly right that's not the person that you once knew or the person that you know is in there. So addiction is a monster of a disease and it's spread out over our entire county and the whole country. We're all in this uh, and uh, we're all been impacted whether we realize it or not. Everybody's life, mm-hmm. everybody's life, if you look hard enough, has been affected by this opioid mm-hmm. crisis. I mean, you know, like I said, I used earlier about my, my brother. I mean, he's just two years younger than me, raised in the same household, same parents, uh, you know, I'm a police officer, and he's a recovering drug addict. Mm-hmm. I mean, you on paper when you look at that, when we're you know 11, 12 years old, you think, well, these they're, they're gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. It, it affects people differently from all walks of life, whether you're a millionaire or you're dirt poor, uh, white, black, whatever. I mean, it, it affects everybody across the board. And if you if you look hard enough, so I think the conversation is is probably the best avenue we can do to fight the the stigma on that. So let's have that conversation. And it's a big conversation that covers a lot of topics. So I think it's multifaceted. Yeah. Again, I think there's, there's an economic or a money side Mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. I think there is a mental health side of things. Okay. Um, I think that there tends to be a physical health side of Mm -hmm. things. And then there's just the, the overall situation. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we continue to have a significant problem. Because in my perspective, many times we find 
a niche to focus on to help the opioid epidemic, mm-hmm. but we focus on that niche mm-hmm. and it can't be a niche. It has to be everything to take the words of a, of a politician from many years ago. It takes a village to mm-hmm. fix this. Yeah. You know, and <clears throat> excuse me. And I don't think that we often do that. So that was Scott Seitz, a nurse practitioner. Now let's hear from Dr. Cassis from Stanton Family Clinic. We need to take, we need to basically remove that stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you see we go about doing that? Education. Okay. Educating the public. Mm-hmm. Explaining why, um, how does it work, how does the medicine function, why it is important, showing the science, the evidence-based medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the public sees the result, they become supportive. And now we're back with Lisa Coffey. As with every medical condition that we can list, there are organs in our body that are affected and impaired. And with addiction, within weeks to months, depending on the frequency of use and what type of drug they're using, um, their brain is chemically changed. And their brain actually triggers a response in in their central reward center of their brain telling them they need these chemicals. So with that chemical change comes just this impairment within all of the other processes that our brain is designed to do for us. Um, Just like, you know, our heart has a function, our brain has a function. And unfortunately, Nate, (laughs) our brain is in control of all of it. So there are scientific reasons why addiction happens. And we're going to briefly go into what those reasons are. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe in science, that's a different story. But science and medicine, studies, research, all that Mm -hmm. showed that only less than 15% of patients with opiate use disorder, addiction, whatever you want to call it, can stay abstinent for 12 months. It's a dysregulation that happens, and, and all of that related to the drug stuff means that it just, without the drug, you feel bad. Yeah. 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 Okay. And you said like a craving is yeah yeah. Yeah. that's the way they kind of explain it you know i feel bad and then as that kind of escalates it's explained as a craving and that's dr kennan from mercy health in clay city when a patient is dependent on opiates whatever it is heroin percocet methadone all those are are opioid okay so when you get addicted to that it changes the brain chemistry basically most most drugs interfere with the um, chemical called dopamine mm-hmm. um, in the brain that basically give that pleasure feeling and euphoria. So here's Dr. Kennan to help expand on that. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter in your brain, which is one of the chemicals that makes your brain function. So okay. those chemicals need to be there to help your brain work, just like insulin needs to come from your pancreas to help your sugar stay low. Okay. So the dopamine is a, what I call those is feel-good hormones. Some drugs can release more dopamine. Some other drugs drugs can stop the do- dopamine from going away. So through Dr. Cassis' entire episode, we actually go into way more of the nitty-gritty details. And you're welcome. I'm leaving most of those details out of this. We're going to go on and move on. 
Just know that there are neurological science things going on with addiction. There are chemical changes in your brain. But that's not the only aspect of the health that's involved with this. You can't separate the physical medicine and the mental health medicine. Okay. And while we don't have a real model to put the two together all of the time, Mm -hmm. primary care providers have to do that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can separate mental health from physical health when you're talking about addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, They go hand in hand. And if you miss that, Mm -hmm. there's an issue. And this, once again, is Mr. Scott Seitz, the nurse practitioner. You are more than just a person. You've Mm -hmm. got a, you know, a a mind and you've got a body, you've got a spirit and you've got to keep all of that together. And Mm -hmm. if at any point there's a, there's a break, no matter whether it's physical or mental or, or spiritual, then there's an issue. So medically and for your body's well-being, there is a strong need to address the addiction issue that our county has. But it's even more than just medical. It affects our entire community. And as unrelated as it may seem on the surface, it does this through our city's finances. So here we have Judge James Anderson to help us walk through that. Yeah, as he said, I'm James Anderson. I've had the good fortune of serving in my capacity for almost nine years now and excited to have the opportunity to discuss one of, I think, the biggest problems we have here in Powell County, probably. I think and it's not just Powell County, so I shouldn't just uh, put the stigma here. I think it's a nationwide problem, but the mm-hmm. opiate or the drug uh, problem that we're mm-hmm. seeing in our society today, and uh, I think uh, financially the woes it brings to economies locally and nationally, mm-hmm. it, it's uh, something that's very underlooked. If you look at our county budget, you know, it's... Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at the ambulance and uh, jail aspect of that, that's over a quarter of our our budget. Mm -hmm. And then looking at those, basically probably 80% of those costs associated with those two departments Mm -hmm. alone is from this drug problem. Mm -hmm. And then that starts touching you from an economic development standpoint, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It hits us all over, and I think... uh, if people would realize the the cost of inaction and what it's costing us is a lot greater than the cost of actually taking yeah. productive, proactive steps and trying to combat it, is my opinion. So one of the biggest stresses that it puts on our county is through law enforcement and through the police department. So let's zero in on that side of it for a little bit. My name's uh, Jarrett Rose. I am Assistant Commonwealth Attorney for Powell, Wolf, and Breathitt Counties. I've been uh, been a practicing attorney uh, five years. A lot of what we do is drug related, mm-hmm. whether that's blatantly drug related, you know, possession or trafficking of uh, narcotics, or if it's just related by happenstance. And, and a lot of times that happens uh, where there's a theft or a violent crime, mm-hmm. we can usually trace it back to, to drug mm-hmm. use. We definitely have a problem, like many other small communities out there. And this is Detective Billy Rice. Um, there's a lot of um, lot of poverty. You know, I don't. We don't see as many many uh, career criminals around here. We see people that um, that unfortunately are addicted to drugs, opiates, um, methamphetamine, and they're committing crimes to to be successful in obtaining drugs. Most of the time, not every time, you know, but most of the time, you know, when somebody steals. Your weed eater, they're not stealing it to pay their water bill. They're stealing it to to buy their next batch of drugs. So in Powell County, crime is pretty much driven by drug usage. And now we're with Sergeant Ian Morton to see what his experience has been. When you first get in the sign of work, you know, you think it's very black and white. It's very 
good versus evil. Uh, there's a lot of gray area when you come when it comes to enforcing the law. Uh, and you first when you see these people and young and old, you think, well, they're they're turds. They are mm-hmm. the scum of the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe they would put this type of stuff in my my hometown. Uh, and then the late uh, Deputy Rog Matthews, Rog Matthews, Packing Sheriff's Office. Uh, we were discussing situations like that, and he's like, "No," he said, "You got it all wrong." He said, "Most of these people," he said, "Yeah, there's some people that's that, that's that's what they want to do. They just want to get high. They that's what they've all want to do." But a lot of these folks, especially your older folks, they got they got hooked on it from the you know the pain meals back when they first started out. Mm-hmm. When when he said that, you know, and that you know, not everybody's tired. You know that you know that some people just bad situation. Um, that really resonated with me, and mm-hmm. so. It came from oh, there's a there's another scumbag. It's doing dope in our streets. To that person who got a problem, mm-hmm. maybe me doing this, maybe me putting them in jail today will help them get the help they need. And that's really how it works a lot of the time. Law enforcement and the court system both play a huge role in getting people into recovery. And that's exactly what happened with Joshua Jones. The morning that I was arrested. Um, I can remember going, I was at a complete, uh, point of desperation. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, Kirk putting the handcuffs on me and setting me in the back seat of the cruiser. And as soon as he shut the door, it's like the biggest weight had been lifted off of me. And that's what it's all about. Though that's just Josh's story right there, the same story is shared by so many people all around the country. And going off of that, here is Miss Stacy Crace, the director of the Powell County Health Department. And it's somebody's mother or sister or daughter mm-hmm. or son or husband or, you know, and, and there's people that are really hurting for these people and praying for them and, um, you know, they're people. And mm-hmm. so they're, they're a life like every other life that public health tries to improve and save. And, and that's why the health department has to get involved. The health department's job is to keep our communities healthy, no matter who the people are that make up that community. And thankfully, Stacy Crace is on board, and so is Judge Anderson. I think a lot of times uh, we see the see it from the angle they'll tell you what a needle program cost or something as that. And I've always made the argument it's it's more what it costs if we don't do it. And I think there's it's hard to formulate numbers or cost uh, on those mm-hmm. things that are not tangible. Mm-hmm. But I think that's going to be start to be the mentality we have to look at more so than the cost of some of these programs. So one of these programs he's mentioning is the syringe exchange program, which is where people can bring in dirty and used syringes and exchange them for clean ones. And that is all a purpose of trying to reduce the spread of hepatitis C and HIV. And in our county, as well as counties all around, uh, it's a pretty controversial program. A lot of people were uneasy about it, and we hope people are more comfortable with it now. We have to remind um, the participants, you know, quite a bit, that this is an exchange program. It's not just a giveaway. Mm -hmm. So there's an expectation that these will be exchanged, and this is the reason why. And, um, you know, we tell them, this could be stopped, you know, if if it's not working that way. If we're giving out a whole lot more than we're getting, then, you know, we can't we can't afford to keep that program running and the public health measures aren't being met. So it's it's constant education again, just 
so that people know the purposes of these programs. Well, I know one thing that really sparked the program even um, getting approved and getting underway was a study by the CDC that came out, and I want to say it was about 2015. They ranked the counties as far as on the cusp of a HIV and hepatitis outbreak, and Powell County, Kentucky, was number 15 in the nation mm -hmm. for at-risk. And Wolf County, our neighbor, was number one. Mm -hmm. So when your neighbor's number one and you're number 15 in the nation, it was, you know, something that really um, at the health department kind of fueled getting that program. Mm -hmm. um, and Kevin Hall from Lexington, mm -hmm. they had already had it, and he's a local. So he helped that. So I, I want to think that in the last five years, because we've been able to work on and start that program, maybe we've improved our rankings and slowed that. I want to say from, from a personal standpoint, um, you know, in my line of work, uh, the occasion you were in somebody that has an open wound or, you know, they are, they're bleeding, whatever the case may be. And this is back once again with Sergeant Ian Morton. Uh, about two years ago, I had to be tested for an entire, I had a, a gentleman that, uh, didn't want to go. Didn't want to go quietly, uh, and a, a scuffle broke out. He ended up bleeding, and I had an open cut on my finger, about a half an inch long, from in the garden. It's, it's crazy of all things. Uh, went to put handcuffs on him. His blood in, mm -hmm. in my wound, and he he was he said he was hepatitis C positive. So for an entire year, I had to get poked and prodded to make mm -hmm. sure that I it didn't transfer. Now, from what they tell me, it, it takes. A pretty good amount to, to transfer, yeah. but there's still always that fear, you know. Am oh, I taking yeah. this home to my wife? Am I taking this home to my kids? Mm -hmm. uh, so, granted, thankfully, I I came back negative on everything, but you know, it just that's one of those things. I think you all are trying to alleviate that the potential for transfer and potential of, of contracting mm -hmm. uh, through that program, and then obviously onto the other people. So, I'll, I'll be all, perfectly honest when I, when it first came in, I, I was one of those guys. I'm like, this is not going to work. Right. This is going to be the worst thing ever. And I will say, I believe we are seeing a decrease in mm -hmm. the number of needles we we. But again, you know, it's just it's all about education, making sure they understand this isn't a get out of jail free card. Mm -hmm. Even working in public health, I felt the same way. So I can see if you didn't work in public health and you weren't educated on the reasons for the program, I could see why people would be against it because even working in in the office where it goes on, it just sort of feels wrong, at, you know, especially in the beginning, mm -hmm. you think, I just don't know about this. What are we doing back here? Mm -hmm. You know, but it takes some education in it and, and learning about the public health reasons and what, what the benefits are. We started seeing people that would come for the syringe exchange and then ask about treatment. And so it's not only about the syringe, you know, in itself, but would they ever have encountered a friendly face to mm -hmm. say, I, I, might, I might not want to do this anymore. What, <laughs> what mm -hmm. can you do to help me? And so it's building that trust with our employees and being able to get to treatment. So we, we've had some of those success stories, so that really mm -hmm. helps. So the big goal of all of this is to get people recovered from their addictions. And getting people into a treatment program is maybe the most effective way to do that. But it's not, that doesn't just happen through the syringe exchange. That also happens through people like Janelle Brewer. Well, hello, my name is Janelle Brewer, and I am from um, Eastern Kentucky, Powell County. Nice. Um, my role is I am a mother first, um, also a prayer warrior. That's very important to me. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm a daughter, a wife of a husband of 30 years, and also an advocate for Powell County, Eastern Kentucky, and Casey's Law Trainer. So, got a lot of titles, but I'm just an old hillbilly girl that just wants to help people in addiction. (laughs) And you could say that her specialty is Casey's Law. It's to intervene for someone who is unable to recognize their need for treatment due to impairment. So, what Casey's Law does is it gives the family members or friends a voice Mm -hmm. to speak up for that loved one Mm -hmm. and say, we won't let you die. Mm -hmm. Even when you want to die, we don't want to bury you. And guess what? I can honestly say the statistics in the state of Kentucky, I have every bit of that too. Mm -hmm. I can honestly say the total of cases... In 2019, was 2,404 in the state of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. That's plenty of them. How many that is that? Plenty. How many lives is that? What if we didn't have this? That would be maybe 2,404 people that we buried. Yeah. But because of Casey's Law, and some mom, some dad had a voice to speak up and say, I want to help my child. So that's one avenue that people use to get into treatment. But what happens if you don't have family that are pushing you that way? Me, I mean, I, I got saved. I went to church, and that, but I didn't have no really support. Mm-hmm. I didn't have nobody walking through it with me that knew about my addiction. My, mm-hmm. You know, I went from one addiction to the other. I'm seeing things that could have, like, help, that I'm doing that would help, would mm-hmm. have helped me. You know what I mean? So... And this is Edna Thompson, who used to be in addiction herself, but has now made it through that and is in recovery and works as a peer support specialist, helping other people get through their addictions. Some of the things I struggled with back then would have been easier if I would have had somebody walking me, helping me through that. And I think that's why I say that peer support is like really important. I mean, like Mm -hmm. it's really opened my eyes of how much it's needed and how important it is. And I agree completely. And here's her husband, Jeremy Thompson. What a peer does is lead by example. They know what you're about to go through. They know the pitfalls you're about to fall mm-hmm. into. So it's it's easier for somebody that's been there, mm-hmm. you know, because take somebody that ain't never been addicted. Well, you can't tell me what I'm about to face. You don't know what I'm about to face. And in a way, that's what our entire show is about. Every person has their own unique experience. And that's why we have to talk about it with each other. That's why we have to share those experiences with each other. So now we're going to hear from a few people sharing their very personal connections with addiction and recovery. Um, Hello, my name is Jasmine Thorpe. I am a lifelong resident of Powell County. You have a pretty personal connection to seeing what this whole problem can do with people. I do. My whole life was kind of built around an addiction. Um, My mother was an addict. And... She fought it pretty hard when she wanted to, you know. I remember there was a time when um, my sister was first born, so my mom was on and up. So we were we lived like right un, like there's a house on a hill and then there's a trailer below it, and we lived in that trailer with my mom. And I was probably eight; she was about one. And I would get up every morning, change her diaper give her a bottle and put her back in her playpen and get on the bus and go to school before my mom even woke up. 
And I remember thinking back on that in high school and, like, wondering how many kids had to do that every day of their life forever, you know. Thankfully, my grandmother, you know, took us back home, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, that's my home. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just can't imagine trying to grow and learn and develop and having all that other responsibility all the time. Yeah. Cards are stacked against you at that point. And here we're back with Detective Billy Rice. Um, I grew up with both parents addicted to the drugs. I've lived with aunt and uncles and um, grandparents growing up. So um, it happens to everybody. It's in every family. Um, but you can't overcome it. Just because your parents are using um, doesn't mean you have to. Um, you know, it's you know one thing that I, I, I experienced it. So, you know, when I walk in these places and I see that, you know, seven, eight-year-old boy or girl sitting there and, you know, that, and I know their parents are, you know, somewhat, somewhat drug addicts, you know, I've, I've been there, done that. If you, you know, have, you see these kids in your, in, in your families, you know, if you're an aunt or an uncle to a kid and you have a brother or sister struggling, I mean, reach out there and, and get those kids out of that situation. Um, you never know. Um, I, I'm, I'm the prodigy of, of, of a situation like that, so... And now we hear from a couple of ladies who remained anonymous for the episode, but they are both raising children who are not their own because the children's parents are in addiction right now. And I would probably just address any um, people that are raising children that are not their own. And even if it's family, that the best thing that you could do for a kid is to love that kid. Regard, love them when they're mad. Love them when they're sad. Love them when they're you know tearing stuff up in the house. Just love them. Because it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the trauma that they experienced coming into the home due to addiction. But love will, love will cover it. Like, if they can feel accepted, um, it's not going to take away what's absent in their life, but it will definitely help them heal and move forward in life. So, mm-hmm. And just trying to make them feel normal, as yeah. normal as they can. It's never going to feel normal for them because right. they love their parents. And no matter how good they're doing now or all the things we provide, we're still not mom and dad. Um, parents that aren't raising their kids right now due to their addiction um, is just to not give up hope because I think that's a lot of the problem with them is they give up on themselves and they lose hope just because it seems so overwhelming. But there's resources out there. There's people that will help you. Um, and your kids love you no matter what. They don't care that you know, you've been messing up for the last year and a half. If you get your life together and come back in their life, they're going to love you just the same. And But once they get in somewhere or they start working a program, then what happens is they start seeing that impairment lifts. Mm-hmm. The brain begins to start thinking, and they are actually relieved that somebody stepped in mm-hmm. and could do what they couldn't do because mm-hmm. all they wanted was the drug. Well, as a mom, kind of getting into where I'm at here, mm-hmm. you know, you're desperate. All you see is your your loved one, your your friends, your, you know, your community. All you see is pain. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to let her die. I'm not going to let him die. I know I had gotten to a point to where I, death was like, that's a cool option for me. Um, 
and I looked like it. Mm-hmm. And death was a cool option for you. Yeah, it yeah. was just like whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. had no wow. no will to live. Um, hated myself. Very, very, very dark place. I've been clean uh, in a couple weeks. I'll be, I'll have three and a half years. You would never know, looking at me, that I've got three and a half years clean, and that it's, it's possible, and that you can actually recover. But since 2018, since I got sent to Morehead Inspiration Center, um, it's been a real blessing just to have just a little average job, not making much money, but enough to just contribute to the bills and. Uh, just to be able to eat and just go to bed at night and sleep and have a vehicle to drive. Uh, not even a nice one, just to, just to, the basics in life are all that we need. Don't suffer in silence. Yeah, take that step and reach out because, I mean, it could change change somebody's life. It could save them. I mean. There's help out there. Yeah. Um, there is a different way of life uh, to anybody, like anybody listening that, may, that might be struggling with addiction right now. Um, there, there is a different way that you can live. You don't have to use anymore. Today can be your last day. You just gotta use the tools that they're given to you. I can't even begin to explain how much of an impact working on this show has had on me personally. And I really hope that that experience is carried over to our listeners because I think it's an important progress for people to go down. I think that if our community is going to get better, then we have to start with having this empathy towards the people who are living this firsthand. Because at the end of the day, who on earth could better tell us what it's like to be in addiction and to come out on the other side than somebody who has done that, than somebody who's lived that? Well, anyways, that's all the time that we have for today. I'm going to throw out a few thank yous before we go and close out the first season. Uh, First and foremost, thank you to all of our guests who have been on for the first season. You guys are what makes this show what it is. Thank you so much. And then to WSKV, thank you guys for broadcasting the show and working well with us. You guys have been great as well. Uh, And then the third... Thank you to the Powell County Health Department. You guys are incredible. You're doing awesome work. And big shout out to the Powell County Cares Project. One of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. And shout out to Stacey Crace for for just being a great leader. You're incredible. Thank you so much. Well, that brings us to the end of the first season of The Local Lens. We'll be back in a few weeks with more new episodes. But for now, I'm your host, Nate Brooks. This is The Local Lens, a Powell County Cares Project. These are our people using our voices, telling our stories, because no one sees it like we do.